Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. I was away last week, and so I have Dr. Randy Cloud here, who's um, the Director of Church Relations, to get that right, at Mid-American Nazarene University, which is one of our denominational schools over in Kansas City. And I'm super happy that he's able to give me this break today and uh, look forward to hearing to what you say. Um, so without any other things, why don't you come up and, and share God's word with us? Good. Uh, sorry, Pastor Jason. I'm going to go eat pancakes, I think, and let you <laughs> preach. That sounds pretty, pretty good, actually. Hey, good to be here today. Randy Cloud, and I'm from Mid-America. Uh, that's your university. Uh, you support it. You pray for us. You send us students. We appreciate the partnership. Um, my new job, I used to teach at Mid-America in the ministry department. And today, you, by the way, you have a teacher, not a preacher. And I'm used to going a full hour, right? So, I mean, I'm just stuck. I just go, I don't know how to stop. So we'll try to get out of here before the Chiefs start here this afternoon. But uh, it's a privilege to travel around now in my newer position this summer to be with folks like you. Um, on the Mid-America region or field, we have 500 churches just like you guys, just like this. There's 500 churches worshiping right now today all around our field, up in the Dakotas, Minnesota, Missouri, uh, Kansas, uh, Nebraska, Iowa. Uh, this whole area feeds into Mid-America and so we thank you for your support. I see a former student right here, former trumpet player with me. If you want to go get your trumpet, I got mine out in the car. No, maybe tonight. Maybe we'll come back tonight. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here in Fulton. Um, last Sunday, I was out touring the uh, western side of Kansas, part of our region. That is a long way out there. And so I was out in places like Garden City and and uh, Dodge City, and where else were we last week? Sublet. Yeah, I preached last week in Sublet. Anybody know where that is? That's about out there, and there's harvest time out there. And uh, so we had a good time out in Sublet, and, uh, but it's good to be over here in Missouri. Uh, this is actually, this church is connected. My, this is my wife and my niece and my sister-in-law. Uh, my niece, by the way, she's going to William Woods, so you, you take her to lunch sometime, right? because she needs some real food. She's a freshman over there this year. And uh, my wife's parents attended this church for some time, the Craigs. I don't know if anybody's here that remember Bob and Helen Craig from 20 years ago. It's been a little while. It's been a little while since uh, they've been here. But our athletic director is from here, Todd Garrett. Some of you know Todd. I see Todd about every day. So we have good connections here with Fulton, or shall I say the Kingdom of Callaway, Kingdom of Callaway. I never could figure that out when my in-laws were here. Like, what? Is there a king and queen here somewhere? Are any of you the king of Callaway here? I, is that dominated at the at the fall festival here? I don't know, but but it's kind of cool to be a kingdom. I don't know what that means. Uh, Mid America is doing well um, here. Just to give you a quick update, we've got a full house this fall with students there. We started about three weeks ago, and uh, all's good. Um, last year during COVID, we weren't sure what to do. Um, we weren't sure if we should even be open or not. But we said, let's, let's do the best we can. I think we need to be here. So we had school last year. And we were live and in person. All the kids came to our classes. And um, 
and we, you know, we took some precautions, but we had all live face-to-face classes the whole year. And I think God blessed us. We, we got through that fine, not any major outbreaks that I was aware of. And so I was so glad of that. So our attendance as well, in fact, we weren't sure who would even come back to school last year. We ended up with a 25% increase. And a year that we thought we'd be down, we actually were way up. And then, I probably shouldn't say this, my president doesn't like me to say this too much, but we weren't sure if finances were going to go good because churches like yours, you weren't sure if your finances were going to work or not with online and stuff. But we ended up last year with, with more money we knew what to do with. <laughs> we, we had a, a couple million dollar overage at the end of the year. We've never had that, and we won't again. So don't, uh, you know, your budgets are still needed. But we had an overage last year with all the extra money that came in through various sources, and we were actually looking at each other like, what should we do? What should we do with this? So it was a wonderful year. I, I actually think it's one of the best years we've ever had, uh, as opposed to maybe being one of the harder years. It really wasn't that hard at all. Um, we're building, some of you have been up to the campus maybe, we're building a brand new campus center there that will be the new heart and soul of the university, a place for everybody to come and hang out. Big two-story building right in the middle of the mall there, and it's going right up. You can go to our website. You can see a live camera on that any day. And that will be occupied at spring break. This year we'll have our first meal in the new building, be the new campus center, um, right when the kids come back from spring break in March. So that'll be a neat thing. And that was an expensive building to put up. It was $20 million. I mean, it's hard to build buildings these days. You know, school raised every penny of that before they, they broke ground, and it's all paid for. Every, every penny of it's already paid for. And so that'll go up, and then we'll tear down. If some of you remember, the old campus center will have to come down. But it's one of our original buildings, and it's okay for it to come down. And so anyway, good signs of progress at Mid-America, good things happening uh, there. The president brings greetings to you. Thank you, Pastor Jason, for letting me come in today. I think you're a SNU grad, if I remember. Is that right? Yeah, SNU's okay, too. My parents went to Bethany, so I've, I've got some connections there, too. Uh, we do appreciate your support here at Mid-America. And, um, and if you're ever up that way, come by and visit your school. It's your school. What we hope we're doing at Mid-America is mirroring what you all do in the local church. And you send us your kids for a little while, and we hope to send them back. Uh, to you at some point, um, better equipped and maybe a little more mature and ready to go. Love your uh, worship team today. Uh, just one recommendation, and I, then I'll leave. You don't have to ever hear me again, but I take these girls right here and put them on the stage. I put them up there on this. They are great. They do every word, and a couple of them were doing somersaults, and that's appropriate. I think if you're going to do a praise song, I think you could, if I could do a somersault, um, I think that's good. So I, I love that. That's, that's so good. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, so um, today we'll, we'll um, turn to God's word for a little bit. I'm going to be working uh, today out of the Old Testament. That's over on the left side of the Bible. And uh, we're going to look at a story that is so familiar. In fact, the kids probably could have stayed in today. We're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. So let's go to First Samuel. If you have a Bible, if you want to sort of Tag along with me. First Samuel chapter 17 is where I'll be um, telling our story from. And um, again, you know the story well. So let's just recount the story just quickly. You know this from Sunday school days. And, um, and then maybe we can learn a couple of new angles on this story today. So a few years ago I was in Israel, and we often take trips, take people over to 
Israel, and we stopped by a, a well-known location just south of Jerusalem called the Valley of Elah. The Valley of Elah is mentioned here in chapter 17 as the place where David and Goliath confronted each other. And it says, up on one hill, and I stood on the one hill, and there were the Israelites, and then over on this side of the valley were the Philistines, and they were kind of hollering at each other about who had the better army and mostly about who had the better God. And so I stopped in that valley with our, our group. We had about 40 of us from the U.S. that were touring, and I noticed down in the middle between the two hills, down in the middle of the valley, there is today uh, a riverbed. Down there it's kind of dried up, at least it was when I was there. But there's a lot of rocks uh, in the uh, riverbed. So I just stooped down and I, I grabbed a rock. And so here's my rock from the Valley of Elah. It looks just like a rock, but it's not just any rock. That rock is from the same place as this story, where David went and got a rock or two and said, I'll use this to uh, win a battle. A rock is going to win a battle. And so I grabbed this one, and I grabbed up a bunch of other rocks, and I took them all under the bus, and I handed everybody a rock. I said, now you've got David's rock. But I'm pretty sure I chose the real rock. Pretty sure I got the... I think this is the real rock. Because if I look at it, I've had this for a while, it looks to me like there's a little bit of red right, right there. If I look, use my imagination, I think there is a little bit of red there, stain. I'm not sure. I'm going to claim, as well as anybody knows, this is the rock. All right? Now, you can debate me but you can't prove me wrong. So I'm going to say that's the rock right there that killed Goliath from, from Israel. So you know the story. David uh, wasn't even in the battle. He was out tending sheep, you remember? And so he says, uh, I'm going to go visit my brothers. There's some, something going on down the hill. He goes down there and uh, sees that the two armies are kind of sitting on each of their own sidelines, but nobody's fighting. Nobody's doing anything. And as he watched this big old guy came out, Goliath, giant guy, and just challenge, says, hey, instead of us all fighting each other, uh, you just pick your best guy, I'll pick my best guy, who's me, and we'll, we'll just fight one-on-one, -on -one, and then whoever wins that wins everything, winner takes all. And so David looked at that and wondered, why is nobody fighting this guy? What's, what's the deal? Well, the deal is that the Philistines were a hard group to beat. The Philistines had been the bullies on the block for a long time with Israel, and they had always been beaten up. It seemed like every battle in the Old Testament, it's the Philistines that are getting the best of things. And they had better armory. In fact, one time they shut down all the blacksmiths in Israel and says, you don't get to make weapons with metal anymore because we're not going to let you do that. We're going to let you fight with pitchforks and, and uh, farm implements. And, and so the Philistines were mean, and they were a pretty good army. And so they were always beaten up on them. They had good weapons. But then here... To top it off, not only are they a good army, here comes this big guy. It says, if, you, if they have the um, measurements here in Hebrew uh, terminology, but if you translate that into English measurements, it comes out he was nine feet, nine inches tall. How tall are those windows? How tall is the edge of that? Is that 10, 12? About 10. So that, he's, he's up there. He's, his head is almost, his hands for sure, his head is almost up there to the edge of the ceiling. Okay, I, I'm impressed with that. But it gets worse. He says he has armor. You can read it right there in chapter 17. He had armor that itself weighed 125 pounds. Some of you don't hardly weigh 125 pounds all by yourself. He had armor that weighed 125 pounds. Then it goes on, it says, 
slung over his back, he had a javelin. Javelin is kind of a long spear that you can throw long distance. So he had a javelin. Then it says he had a spear, a spear, and the thing around it was as big as a timber, and the head of it weighed 15 pounds, just the metal tip. That's a bowling ball, and he was going to chuck that thing. He had that in one hand. And then later it says he had a big old sword. And so I'm thinking, this is the first tank in human history. He's fully armored. He's got weapons going every which direction. He's a human tank. How are you going to fight that? And then to make things worse, for 40 days in a row, it says he yelled out and says, who's going to fight me? 40 days. That got a little tiring, a little old. So the two armies, they're reduced to a single fight. It's going to be that guy, the tank, against whoever Israel wants to go. Nobody wants to go. So here comes a boy. He's a teenager, probably at best. And, um, and he doesn't have armor that works. He doesn't have weapons. All he's got is a rock. <laughs> he's got this to fight a tank. And you know it doesn't look like a very fair fight, does it? That doesn't look like a good fair fight. And indeed it's not a fair fight because David has the secret weapon, doesn't he? He's got a helper in this battle. The rock isn't what's going to win this war. God's going to win the war. And so um, they have this battle, and I'm thinking this is a much bigger battle than just between two men, David and Goliath. This is bigger than two countries, Israel and Philistines. This is a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. That's what the battle's all about. It's a much bigger battle than maybe we realize so let's look at three lessons today. Let's see if we can get three ideas from this very familiar story today. So the lesson number one that I think I need most is to make sure that the battles we're fighting today, we seem to fight a lot of battles, to make sure the battle we're fighting is the battle God's fighting. Because sometimes I want to fight about things, and, and sometimes I need to stop and ask the question, does God care about this <laughs> as much as I do? Is he as frustrated as I seem to be about this? Or is he concerned about other things that maybe are a little bit bigger? So the battle here is not between two guys, not between Israel and the Philistines. If you look at verse 43, in verse 43 we have Goliath coming out, and it says the Philistine cursed David, and here's the key, by his gods. And so he's saying, I'm on the right team here, and my gods are the right people to be protecting us. And so he, he shows what he's fighting for, not just for his army, but for his gods. And then David counters that in verse 46. In verse 46, it says that today I will give <laughs> the carcasses of the Philistine army, that's kind of harsh, to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know. Here's his battle. The whole world will know that I'm strong. No, that I can be a giant. No that there is a God, that there's a true God. See, so that's the battle. The real battle is who's the real God and what are God's purposes in this world. So there are a lot of times that I get frustrated, irritated, angry at life issues. You do too. Sometimes I go to bed with my mind spinning about issues that make me unhappy. And then sometimes I need to slow down and ask, is this a battle that God's fighting or is this just me? It's just... Is this my private battle that really maybe God isn't as concerned about? Maybe he's got bigger business in his mind. 
So I was driving home from a conference uh, a couple years ago, and I was in the Mid-America van, and I was driving, and I had a lot of students in the van with me, and we had gone to a, a resource seminar uh, a couple uh, couple hours away, and I was coming back to campus with our, our ministry students, and we hit a traffic jam in Kansas City. You guys have traffic jams here in Fulton? Never? Harvest time, you get in the back of a tractor or something that can't move? Well, occasionally we get a little traffic there in Kansas City, and it was down to a crawl. We were going 5 to 10 miles an hour at best, so we're just saying, okay, we'll take our time here, we're not going to get too far. But I did see, I was in the third lane, I said, I think I can go over the fourth lane. It looks like maybe they're moving faster, probably not. And so I put my blinker on, and I slowly eased over into the next lane there, going five miles an hour, eased over here, and said, okay. And then I glanced in my rearview mirror, and for whatever reason, the guy behind me was furious at me and my driving. And he gave me a couple of gestures in the mirror that I could plainly see, and his face, you could just see he was just furious back there, like I had cut him off. Like, we're going five miles an hour. I don't think it matters for either one of us. But he was so mad. Well, this has never happened to me before, and I hope it never happens again. But for two minutes, I was out of my mind with road rage. Have you ever had road rage? Oh, my goodness. I had never, ex- I mean, it just like I was not myself. And I said, I'm driving Christian students. We just got back from ministry conference. I did not cut you off, by the way. I'm doing God's will. I don't know who you are. And you have no right fussing with me. And I was just mad. And I, I was surprised at myself. And I think the students were a little bit afraid at that time because they had never seen that side of me. And so I, I don't know what got over me. I just stopped the van on the freeway. I just hit the brakes and stopped. And the guy behind me had to stop completely, to zero, and I didn't budge. I wasn't going to, because I was mad. I just stopped and said, I'm going to show him that who's going to win this battle. I just stopped, and so he got frustrated and tried to go around me, and then I moved over to his lane, cut him off again. And I was going to show him whose battle this was. I'm going to win this battle. And then, so we did that for a little bit, and honked our horns, and, and then I saw him taking his camera out, and I saw him taking a picture of my license plate. And then it kind of hit me, hmm, well, that's not a good sign, because i got Mid-American Nazarene University plastered all over this thing. And uh, that's not a good sign. And we're just going five miles an hour, so who cares? We're going to all get there. And I said, now, he's going to call the police and say there's a maniac driver out here, and it's from Mid-America. And so I got back, and I called our safety department, our campus police, and I said, if you get a call, uh, if you get a call about a Mid-America van that was driving in an erratic way, that was me, and just let me know if there's anything that's going to happen. But that was me. But, you know, I was fighting the wrong battle. That was not a battle to fight. I was completely wrong and a little bit crazy. Um, God was not in that battle. He didn't care about that battle at all. Um, so what are the issues that make you and I angry today, that keep us up at night, um, frustrate us to no end? What, um, what things do we face on put on Facebook, which can be a wonderful tool, but can also be a place to vent our frustrations. So what things do we post on Facebook that we're so angry and frustrated about? What do we talk about with our friends when we get with them? What do we spend our time talking about? And the question, are those kinds of things that we spend so much energy on, what does God think about those? Are those things that he's concerned about or or maybe not? So sometimes I just wish, Jesus, I just wish you were just right here 
next to us right here, just tell us the things that you're concerned about so we can get on the right path. Because we do get confused sometimes, don't we? We get priorities out of line. Wouldn't you, if you'd just be right here and tell us what, what we should really be concerned about, then we'll try to do our best. And then I think, well, actually, he, he is right here with us to tell us his priorities. And his words that he gave us right out of his mouth have been faithfully recorded for us, especially in the Gospels. And I go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And right there, Jesus says, here's what keeps me up at night. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I would post on Facebook. So here's Jesus' Facebook posting. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. He posts these kind of things. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger after righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Turn the other cheek and love your enemies. Be salt and light in a world that doesn't know what side's up. Make priority for prayer. Make sure your treasures are in heaven and not on this earth. Money issues, they're low priority. Don't worry. You can't do a thing about anything by worrying. Don't be judgeful. That's all in the Sermon on the Mount. Worry about spiritual fruit. Be wise builders on the right foundation. And the most important thing he says, and you know these words as well as I do, seek first the kingdom of God. That should be the thing that keeps you up at night. That's what should be your conversation. Seek first the kingdom of God. All right, I'm I'm thankful to have those words, but I'm not always faithful to those words. So the question today, are the things that concern you most the same things that concern God? People, literally, here in Fulton, back in Olathe last week in Sublet, people are dying and going to hell today while sometimes Christians sit and complain about things that don't have much consequence, but we sure can get upset about them. Um, a couple of years ago, well, actually it was last year, um, two students came out of my classroom, and I heard them arguing with each other. They were ministry students. They're good kids. I know them well. I know their hearts well. They came out of a classroom, and their faces were red, and they were out of breath, and they were pointing fingers at each other, and they were yelling very loudly about, this is back when we were wearing masks there last year when we were going through all of that with COVID. One student was saying, you're wrong, we should not be wearing masks, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. The other one says, we should wear masks, and you're wrong, and I'll tell you why I'm right. And they were just shaking their fingers, and they were just red in the face and just hollering at each other over this issue, which we all have worked through, and I know we're all tired of all that, but they were just angry with each other. So here's these two guys over here just really going after it. But then over here I noticed another student, Andrew, was standing right here, and I just watched all of this, and I saw Andrew on his phone, and I saw that he was starting to cry. He was one of our junior ministry majors, and uh, so I went over, Andrew, what's up? And he says, I just got a text message that my folks have decided to divorce. And I just found out just now on text that that's happened today. So he's just devastated. So here's these two guys going after something that a couple of years from now we won't even remember, but here's the guy that's suffering. And so I looked and said, Where, where's God's battle? Is it, is it concerned with what these two guys are doing or is the battle over here? So I took my two students and said, let's come over and pray with Andrew for a minute. And they did. And we prayed with Andrew and his situation, which was just devastating uh, at that time. 
And um, hopefully we got on the right battle. Hopefully we started thinking about what, what's really at stake here. Which of these issues is really the one that we need to, need to care most about. So um, I want to make sure that in the world today there's lots of big issues. I want to make sure that you and I are on the biggest issues, the eternal issues, uh, the ones that God wants us to be aware of. And um, I think it's especially sad when Christians, and we've seen this a lot, haven't we, this last year, where Christians are fighting with Christians while the world over here is, is going to hell. And I think Satan just laughs, out loud laughs, says, look, I got the Christians fighting each other. They're so occupied with each other that they can't even lift up their head to look at what the real issues are around. They're fighting each other down here. Yeah, I got them divided, divide and conquer. And so I hope that we, I, and I'm part of this too, that we can make sure that we're fighting God's battles and that we're not just fighting our own personal uh, issues. Number two, that was the first lesson, make sure we're on the right battles. Number two, we need to remember that we never fight our battles alone. This isn't just up to us. So I drive a Honda CRV. I've never cared much about cars in my life, but I like my Honda CRV. It is so cool. It's got a little thing in the mirror that says my blind area. You know, if I, somebody sneaks in next to me, the little sensor goes off. I said, thank you, because I can't hardly turn my head anymore. I was like, that's too much trouble. And I've got a rear view camera when I'm backing up so I don't run over the children or, or dogs or anything. And I've got a lane assist that I literally can punch the button and I can do this. Hands off the wheel for a little bit of time. It finally beeps and says drive. But I can take my hands off and let it steer even kind of around curves. You guys got a car like that? It's wonderful. And I have a GPS that tells me where to stop and go if I ever pay attention. Even has automatic braking, which fortunately I haven't had to use yet. But I guess if I were to get up on somebody and not hit the brakes, I guess. I don't know. I don't want to try it. Do you guys want to try that? I think I'll test that feature. Uh, I guess it'll stop. I don't know. I'm not going to test that, but it says it will. Um, I hardly even need to be there. But, yeah, I'm making decisions. I'm the driver. But I have so much help around me. And I, I, I like that help. I'm never driving alone. Even when I'm alone, I, I've got friends, several friends with me in the car. I love that. So David, you know, he, he fought the battle. He was really there. And, uh, you know, he had resources. He had killed lions and bears. I don't think there's any lions and bears today in Israel, but back in that day, I guess they're wild animals. He killed them. And he had courage. He had boldness. And, uh, but in verse 37, it says he knows what his real resource is. Verse 37, he says, The Lord delivered me from the lion and the bear and from Goliath. It was the Lord that's going to do this. Yeah, I was there. I put my resources to work. I was involved. Um, but I wasn't alone. And so God needs our willing participation in today's battles. We need to be active. We can't just sit in church. But we also know we don't go alone at all. And so I was uh, in a conference. It was just, uh, what's today, Sunday, Friday, with some Christian school educators, and they were talking about some bills that were going on in Jeff City, and they were going to try to protest those, and that was fine. I agreed with what they were doing. But I heard a whole hour presentation of how they were going to fight these bills to help their Christian schools. And for one hour, I never heard the word God mentioned, ever. I just heard what they were going to do. Well, we're going to do this, and we're going to get this group, and we're going to do petitions, and then we're going to have a conference call, and then and they listed all their resources out, which are fine. I'm glad they were involved. They have good motives. 
Never once did I said, and by the way, we've already won the battle because God's on our team. I never heard that from this group. It just felt like if we don't do it, no one will. And it's like they were fighting all by themselves. And I felt bad for them that they hadn't learned the lesson that God has already gone ahead to fight these battles. So yes, we make plans. We find resources, but that's not all we do. We commit to trusting in God uh, through his provisions, and we act as if he's really going to help us. We act as if we've already won the battle. When David went down there and gathered his stones, do you think he had any doubt that he was going to win? He said, I don't know. I might, I might get wiped out by the big guy today. I don't think that thought crossed his mind. I think he says, I already know the outcome. I know who's going to win this. And we as Christians already know who's going to win the battle. We're on the winning team now, already. And yes, we're going to work and fight, and we're going to use our resources in God's advancement, but we need to act as if we're on the winning team. So I know the Chiefs are going to play somebody today. I already know they're going to win. And so I'm already happy. I have a smile. Who are they playing today? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't predict that yet. I said that last week too, and it didn't work. <clears throat> I, pre- I don't have to predict the Chiefs will win today because they've got Mahomes on their side, and so that works. But there's a story in, in Second Kings about a prophet. You guys know his name, Elisha. Elisha was in a town, and he had his helper servant next to him. And the helper servant looked out the window and said, Elisha, boss, hey, a prophet, man, look, we're completely surrounded by, I don't know, Philistines. I don't know who it was. I didn't check to see, but it's somebody. The enemy has surrounded us. There's no escape. And they look pretty, pretty angry, pretty bad, pretty mean. What are we going to do? And he looks over at Elisha, and he's there calm, not worried, not angry, not running. And he just sits there, and the, the man, and I'm, I'm more like the man, like, Elisha, open your eyes. Look, we're doomed. And then Elisha, you can read it for yourself. There's a very short prayer there. Elisha prays to God, and, and part of that prayer are three words. You know the words. Open his eyes. <laughs> open the servant's eyes. He prays his prayer. He says, servant guy, look out the window again. See what you see. So the servant guy looks out, and he still sees the same army, and it still looks pretty, pretty tough. But he says, oh, now my eyes see another army surrounding this army. There's another army surrounding them, and they're bigger and badder yet. They're like an army from heaven. And they've surrounded the guys that I'm worried about. I didn't see them the first time I looked. All I could see was the problem. But now that I look, I can see the solution. I didn't know. My eyes were not focused on the right things. And so I think you and I, and I'll talk about me, we often focus on the problem. And we forget that. We never fight these battles alone. God is already out there ahead of us to assist us. The New Testament, when the, when the disciples, when Jesus was going to go to heaven, and the disciples saying, oh, please don't leave us. You've been our leader and our, our, our example and our strength, and what, what are we going to do without you? We can't make it uh, as Christians in this world. They'll just chew us up. And Jesus says, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'll leave you a gift. And um, in some of our uh, Bibles, it's translated, it says, I'm going to leave you a comforter, or I'll leave you a counselor. But in the Greek word, the word is parakletos, which we translate paraclete. Have you heard the word paraclete before? Some of our English Bibles don't even translate the word. 
because the Greek word is so much bigger than any English word could get at with one word. And the word paraclete means the one that you say, come next to me, come next to me and help me. Sometimes we need a counselor to say, what do I do? Sometimes we need somebody who advises to say, am I on the right track or not? Sometimes you need a comforter to say, I'm not doing well. Can you give me some encouragement? All those words are in the word paraclete, and that's why we sometimes don't translate it. Uh, Paraclete, para, the first part of that is where we get the word para-teacher, the one that stands next to the teacher to help them, or a paramedic, the one that stands next to doctors. They're not a doctor, but they help the doctor, and they're by the side to help with those things. And so we have a para-helper with us, Right now as I preach, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is here to help the words that I'm trying to fumble out get to your ears and heart. And you have the paraclete sitting next to you, taking what's said from God's word and translating that into your heart and soul in ways that I'll never know at all. And so we have, we have help. So David took the rock to fight an armored tank. He knew he was going to win, not because his fighting skills or a slingshot were going to be the way to do it, but because God was fighting for him. So point two, as we go out to spread the word about the one true God, we never go alone. We go with God. He goes with us each step of the way. That's important for us to know. Okay, number three. All right, we're doing all right? You need to nudge your neighbor and make sure they're awake? I don't see anybody sleeping back here. Oh, I might see a couple of babies up here. Number three, and this is a little hard for me to take all in, but number three says the battle is already done and won. It's already over. Now, we'll go through the paces of the battle, but as Christians, the battle, our biggest battle, is already over. They're done and won. So when David obeyed God, he went out to meet uh, Goliath. He knew, I think he knew in his heart and mind that this battle's already over. We'll go through the paces. There'll be a kind of a mess here for a while. Uh, We'll go through the action of fighting, but the battle is won. And today, for you and me, the battle against sin and Satan, against sin and death, those are the things that scare us the most. That battle's already done and won. It's already over. On Easter Friday, sin was defeated. All we have to do is claim that. But it's already been defeated. It's already done. That event has happened. We just claim that, and it's done. Sin has no power over us if we claim that. Then two, three days later on Easter Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead, death was defeated. Death no longer has a hold on us. On Easter Sunday, death was defeated. It's already done. So we were at a funeral yesterday, almost went went to a funeral, went to the visitation. And it was a Christian, and I didn't see a lot of people who were weeping uncontrollably there. I think it was kind of a celebration of a life well lived and a life of a person we'll see again. Death has no hold over us. There's no sting. We don't like death, but the sting of death has been removed. That's already happened. So David, when maybe it's better the children aren't here. Um, David then finished the battle after he killed him with the rock. This is about the size of the rock. I've seen little shepherd boys in Israel even today. The way they herd their goats and sheep, they get a slingshot. They still have the same tools. They get a rock about this size. I've seen them even around town, and they will sling that, and if the goats or sheep are wandering, they'll hit that lead, uh, throw it in front of the lead sheep, not hit them, but in front, and they'll drive them back to the left or the right. That's their steering wheel, is just throwing rocks. They're so accurate with these things. So David took his rock, and once that uh, Goliath was dead, 
he finished that, a little bit gruesome, kind of Middle Eastern. Uh, he went and cut his head off. Eh, I don't know if that was necessary, but he took Goliath's own sword and cut his head off and kind of said, here, here, here's what we're so afraid about. He's gone. He's, and his head's off, which means he's really gone. Really gone. So David cut off Goliath's head in the same way. Jesus has cut off the head of Satan at Easter and proclaimed victory. He cut off Satan's head already. Yes, Satan is still active today, and he's still around making a mess, but only as we allow him to. If we say no, then he has no power over us. It's only when we let him come in piece by piece into our lives. So I didn't grow up in the, in the country. Are, are you all kind of rural folks here? A lot of you from this area of the country here? Loretta grew up here. Where did you grow up? Somewhere all around Missouri. This is her home district, so so she's country girl. Uh, Cindy, are you country? You are now. Cammy, are you? Countrified. Okay. Uh, I'm city. I grew up in San Diego. I mean, I don't know anything about the country. And uh, so we were driving out western Kansas last week, and Loretta's looked at all the feedlots out there where all the thousands of cattle are pinned up. I guess. You know, I don't really want to know where McDonald's hamburgers really come from. I just want to eat them. I don't want to know the process of where they were. I just don't really need to know every detail. But here's something that I've never seen, but I, I imagine some of you have. Have you ever cut off a chicken's head and watch it flop around? Some of you have? Really? Cindy, you have not. Cammy, have you? What kind of people are you? <laughs> Loretta's telling me she, her mom used to wring the neck for dinner time with the chickens. Like, come on, I just want to go to McDonald's. I'll go to, go to Chick-fil-A, have that done. But, you know, what I, I've never seen it, but what I know is, what I've heard is that you cut off the chicken's head, I guess, with an axe, I don't know. But then for a few minutes or seconds, that body will flap around on it. Is that true? It'll run around. It'll run around. And I guess there's blood coming out, I don't know, but just like crazy. All right, so that's my impression of Satan today. I think his head's been cut off. But he's still flapping around, and he's still splattering a mess everywhere. But his power is already gone. He doesn't need to be power over us. And he is like a chicken with his head cut off. Yeah, he's there, and he's still making a mess, and he can still get in the way. But I think, I wonder if we give too much credit sometimes to Satan and his power. Because in my my, my understanding, his power is nothing for Christians. His head is cut off like Goliath, and so we can be bold. And if the battle is already won, if that's true, if Satan's power of sin and death, those were his two tools, by the way, sin and death were the two things he had, one in each hand. He lost both of those at Easter already, 2,000 years ago. He lost his tools um, if the battle's already won, what should Christians look like today when things come on them? Should we be the most depressed, gloomy, grumbling group in Fulton? Or should we be the joyful, enthusiastic, optimistic group turning somersaults? Should that be us? Now, I, I can play both roles. I get pretty grumpy at times about things. But I really think our world, I think Fulton needs to see people with joy even when things are messed up. I think Fulton needs to see a quiet confidence even when the world doesn't seem to be going well. And our churches have opportunity to show hope 
even today, COVID's still messing with a lot of us, I know. We have an opportunity to show hope to people who need to see something different than what they are thinking themselves. So we need to act as if we are already on the winning team. All right, those are the three points. So let's summarize. We are in a battle today. David and Goliath tells us that this is more than a little guy beating a big guy. That's one of the ways you could read the story. But it shows the world who the one and only God is. It shows that Israel's mission, clear back to Abraham, wasn't to win wars. Abraham was told by God that through you and your people, the whole world will be blessed and will come to know the only God. Jewish people, you're special only when you tell everyone else they're also special. We're all special in God's sight. That's your mission. That's your battle. The battle that you're fighting is to tell the world uh, who the true God is. And so I think we are in a battle today, but I don't know if the battle is at lower levels of fighting Goliath. I think it's the battle for souls today. I think that's our battle between those who are living for God and those who are drowning in the many other false gods of culture and society. Our battle today is a big one. Eternal battle between heaven and hell. We are fighting in order to save lives, to proclaim good news, that sin and death are not the winners, but grace and life are the winning team. So sometimes as a Christian, we all, sometimes I have to hold my hand up like this and say, stop. Sometimes the world gets a little too far out of boundaries. Sometimes we as Christians have to put up a stop sign and say, we can't go down that road any further. That's okay. We sometimes have to do this. But I think, if I'm reading Jesus' life, sometimes he put up a stop sign too. But more often, he turns the hand around and says, come. More often, the Christian is, is to the world say, come. Come and find hope and peace and life. And so, yeah, I'm going to have my stop sign up occasionally. Can't go any further there. But I hope more often we can say, come. Come to this church and find a place where there are new answers, where there's hope for life. Um, Come and let Jesus take your problems. Come and let Jesus take your heart of sin and allow him to rule over you. We are indeed good news, good news people. We want to be people to say, I've heard something good today. So sometimes I allow little things to get in my way. I'll be the first one to, to admit that. But God calls us today to fight a big battle, to rely on his resources, and to proclaim that the fight has already been done. So it's a privilege, something that we can look forward to every day. I like to tell my students, and I'll tell you today, tomorrow, Monday, you all have a schedule already, ready to go for tomorrow. You know what you're going to do tomorrow at 8 o'clock. I do as well. You've got a schedule. You've got to go to this meeting. You've got to go to this school. You've got to get this chore done. You're going to see these people at these different circumstances. You've got your schedule all set. I do too. We're, we're all scheduled people. But let me just invite you to know that tomorrow, on Monday, there's another appointment for you that's not on your calendar book. We like to call these divine appointments. Appointments that God puts on your schedule book. In between all the ones you put on there, he puts another appointment in there. And I will guarantee you, every one of you, tomorrow at some point, you will come across the path of someone who's not on your schedule who needs to see and hear a word of hope. Maybe it's just a pat on the shoulder. Maybe it's a smile. Maybe it's just a how are you doing. But we get so busy with our heads down and our earphones in and we're just in our own little private world and there's people all around us who need to see something from us. 
And so I will, I will encourage you to look for that divine appointment tomorrow, Monday. Look for someone who comes across your path in a, in a hallway, at a restaurant, at a gas station, somewhere. Look for a divine appointment. And you're not going to have an hour-long discussion, probably. But maybe you can do something that will show you're on the winning team and you want them to be on that team, too. Um, that makes me want to get up tomorrow. I want to see what that appointment is because I don't really care about my calendar. I know what that, those appointments look like, and I don't really want to do most of those. But God's appointments, I'm looking forward to seeing what might happen tomorrow on Monday here in Fulton. Let me read a poem, and then we'll be done. This is not a poem I wrote. Another gentleman wrote this, uh, but I think it, it fills in our, our conclusion. I stand by the door... Neither do I go too far in, but I don't stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which people walk when they find God. There is no use in my going way inside and staying there when there are so many who are still outside, and they crave to know even where the door is. And all that they may ever find the door, it's the only, it is only the wall where the door ought to be. That's all they can find is the wall. They creep along the wall like blind people with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, but they can never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for people to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any person can do is to take hold with those blind hands and put it on the latch of the door the latch that only opens when the person turns it themselves. People die outside the door, just like starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. They die for want of what is within their grasp, but they live on the other side of it because they can't find it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I choose to stand by the door. Go in, great saints of the church. Go all the way in. Go down into the cavernous cellars. Go up to the spacious attics. It's a vast, roomy house, this house where God is. Go into the deepest of the hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some, indeed, must inherit those inner rooms of the house. And they must know the depths and heights of God. And they call outside to the rest of us about how wonderful it is. And sometimes I... Take a deeper look myself in. Sometimes I venture in a little further, but I feel that my place seems to be closer to the opening. So I stand by the door. There is another reason why I stand there. Some people get partway in. They go through the door, but then they get afraid lest God and his zeal for his house overwhelm them. For God is so very great and asks all of us. And these people begin to feel claustrophobic and they want to get out. Let me out of this house, they cry. And the people away inside, they only terrify them more. So somebody must be by the door to tell them that they have seen too much already. One taste of God and nothing but God will help them any further. Somebody must be watching for the frightened who want to sneak out just where they came in to tell them how much better it is inside. The people too far in, they may not see how near these are to leaving they're preoccupied with the wonder of the house, but somebody, somebody must watch for those who have entered the door, but now would like to run away. And so for them, too, I stand by the door. 
I admire the people who go way, way in, but I wish that they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would not only be able to help the people who have not yet found the door or the people who want to run away from God, you can maybe go too deeply in and stay too long and perhaps forget the people outside the door. But as for me, I shall take my old accustomed place, near enough to God to hear him and know him and know that he is there, but not so far from the men and women as not to hear them and remember that they are there too. Where? Just outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them, but more important for me, one of them, maybe two, maybe three, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. Father, we have heard words from your um, truth today, and I hope that there's been something not from my words, but from your word that has maybe touched a part of our lives that says I need to maybe re-examine a part of my life today and my priorities. And maybe this simple story that we've heard when we were children, maybe there's a bigger narrative that goes on behind. It helps us remember that the battle we truly fight today is not among one, one another. It's a battle for souls who need to hear the truth and grace of God today. And so I hope that we all can stand by that door to usher people in and to show them what they are looking for, but they don't even know how to name it. But they know that life is not satisfying and life is too difficult. And we as Christians, we can help them see the good news that comes through the gospel because we have experienced it ourselves. Help us to be generous in our giving of the good news. And for this town of Fulton, what what a change could happen if we could get to that tipping point of a certain percentage of folks here in this community who would put their hope and trust in God, how much that could change even this community right here in mid-Missouri, even here in our own lifetimes. So bless this good church congregation, pastor as well. The work of this church is so, so important here. Mid-America joins in this mission as well as we uh, do our best to resource and help students mature as they become Uh, people in the kingdom of God in so many different vocational areas. And uh, we uh, we, we ask that your hand of protection and confidence be on us today here in Fulton Nazarene at Heartland Church. And we ask these things in, in the name of Jesus who has won our battle already. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.